Hello, adventurers. You have found Homebrew Heels, a Nat One Life podcast. I am one of your hosts, hostesses, Amanda. <laughs> My sister Sarah and I will be talking you through some of the Nat Ones we've rolled in the medical health areas of our life. We are not medical professionals by any means, although I personally have watched quite a bit of Grey's Anatomy. We will be sharing our experiences, how we're advocating for our health, what the experience is like in all its details, good and the gross, the cost of the adventure, and most importantly, how we are working to stay happy and motivated through it all. Journey with us and start to find your way through this net one I am excited about this episode. We have listened back, of course, to our episodes. And we realized that, you know, especially me, I tend to say some things like, I should look into that. I should look into that. Now I have a long list of I should look into that. So we're trying to, you know, knock that off the list. Some promises were made. Hmm. Promises were made. And 2021 is where we deliver. That's right. (laughs) I'm still in shock. I'm so in shock because we're about to lay down some facts about vasovagal syncope, which is what Pam has uh, when Mm -hmm. she gets backed up. I think if I remember correctly, she gets constipated and this can happen to her. Vasovagal syncope is um, essentially what she has. And there is apparently a nerve controls your heart's lungs and your digestive tract. And so it's really scary because potentially you know any type of disruption of that nerve it causes like your um heart rate to change or it causes your lungs to react differently and so it's really uh interesting i don't know it's kind of yeah it is and a doctor calls uh this sensation pooforia <laughs> pooforia uh-huh i like that i think i need that on a shirt Poo for you. I mean, come on. We all know, like you were talking about, like it feels good to to pass a bowel movement, like to poop. Like, yeah, you're getting something out of your body, and your body knows that it's not supposed to be there. So it's like, ah, yes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're finally out. But there actually is a reason why we feel that, other than excrete excretion it's because like you're saying it there the vagus nerve is being stimulating and it not only can cause that feeling of euphoria like it can expand into other physical reactions Mm -hmm. and passing out is one of them do you okay not to get inappropriate but we're going there let's do it I mean, it's 2021. We already made promises in 2020 that we were going to be inappropriate. This is going in a slightly different direction. If people have anal sex, like, I'm wondering if, one, if that's the reason why it feels good to them is because the vagus nerve. Mm -hmm. And two, I'm wondering if anybody has passed out from it without knowing what was happening. Oh, I'm sure that people have passed out from it without knowing. Like, because we talked about how common 
it -hmm. surprisingly was that people experience this. So now I'm wondering if it's even more common, but people don't want to talk about it. Yeah, no. Okay, so this is going to go... I can't... I I don't know if we'll keep this in, but we'll see. Mm -hmm. I can't believe we're about to go there. Mm -hmm. All right, so number one, the pooforia thing is real because it can feel orgasmic in nature. Um, And then two, this brings up something that my husband... Okay, my husband... Paul, you guys have been listening with us from the beginning. He's made little tidbit appearances here and there. He's full of random useless information, like the time <laughs> we discovered that he did a report on microwaves and understood, <laughs> yeah. understood how microwaves works. Anyway, um, so he was on Reddit and he just searches for funny things. Well, apparently there's something called shit dildoing. Have you okay. heard of this? It's when, oh, people, and we wonder why we have poop problems. You have to poop really bad. Uh huh. And you start, but then you stop and you suck it back up and you let that poop build up for a couple of days. And days? You, this, this process of like holding this poop in that area and like almost letting it come out and then sucking it back up is called shit dildoing cuz it feels good. So then oh once you gosh. finally do pass it, it's supposed to be like this orgasmic you know. No, all I'm see, thinking once... about is damage to your sphincter cuz I mean people these are valves. Yes. <laughs> They're made to go a specific way. Yes. <laughs> so I would like if I get to that point cuz obviously we've prairie dogged it like right right that's basically what they're doing it's extreme prairie dogging and like we all get into those situations where it's like now it's not the time that i Mm -hmm. need to go poop or anything (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) but for days (laughs) like i couldn't do that yeah for days and it was this really terrible story about this woman and this man this guy was like that my girlfriend and i were (laughs) sitting around one night and we're having one of those great couple nights where you're learning something new and like tell me something you never told anybody and she told him about shit dildoing and that she does it and he was like appalled he's like you're crazy then he tries it and he's like it's like the most amazing thing blah 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 well then he has people come over for family come over for thanksgiving right okay and they're all there's kids like little kids, toddlers playing around, playing around, and they're like, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. We love uncle, yada, yada. Well, he's been working on a shit dildo for like four days. Okay. Oh so he's like full of poop. Well, I guess he goes to like get something out of a pantry or something like that. He opens okay. it up. He's bending down. And one of the little kids comes over and like, Pulls down his pants and like punch like at the same time like I, I'm trying to think like attacks his legs you know okay and but his head ends up going into like his gut and his pants get pulled down because he of just how the kid's hanging on to him yeah and he shit on the floor <laughs> that turd flew out his ass and he shit on the floor and there would be so much of it too and all your family in the and it was in the kitchen. Oh, that's disgusting. For your family's there, and you have to explain why you're shit dildoing. Anyway, (laughs) 
So yes, to your point though, I mean, that makes total sense. But then I would imagine people could just pass out um, or have like, cause it can cause arrhythmia, like abnormal heart rhythms and stuff like that too. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Anyway. So the moral of the story is if you're feeling weird while you're doing it in the ass, you know, make sure you tell your partner. <laughs> oh, right. Seriously. Like make sure you have those code words. <laughs> yeah. Code word. You're like, vagal. <laughs> Maybe something gonna, not as complicated. I'm going to tell Paul, I need my code word to be peso bagel. He's like, you're just going to get the first word out and be like, doesn't count. <laughs> um, she anyway. didn't say the rest of the word. Right. So it must be okay. Um, but peso bagel seem to be, it's just like you said, can be caused by many things. But knowing that it can be caused just by pooping and straining, you know, or just building up that poop. Um, and having that nerve be compressed is really scary. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, like she was talking about in her interview, like just the fact that she could be somewhere in public and have it happen. That's like, that's crazy. I couldn't even imagine yeah, no, I can't. I, I mean, and she did have it happen in public at work events. Like, all of that stuff is just yeah. insane. Um, and I think the scariest part is she's alone. You know, she lives alone. So if you did have something happen where you had a syncope, a syncopal episode, and you pass out and you hit your head, and you're mm-hmm. just there. Nobody would know. I guess that's right. the biggest thing. Like, it's just very scary. Um, so I'm really happy that Pam has, like, a hold on it. She kind of can tell her triggers are coming up. So she'll do something about it so it doesn't happen. Yep. Um, but at the same time, she's made a lot of sacrifices in terms of food. She really doesn't eat very much. Well, uh, and, and I wonder, like, okay, so... She said that she's been to the doctor maybe a couple of times, but it's not something that she focuses in on. And from the research and everything done, it seems as if there's not really always something that you can do. You just have to self-medicate or, you know, avoid the triggers and everything. Mm -hmm. But at the same point, if hers is actual, like, physical, like, when she eats certain foods or when she poops at certain times, like, it causes this reaction, mm-hmm. I'm surprised that she doesn't see the doctor about it more. Like, maybe getting different mm-hmm. kinds of tests done to figure out what her gut issues are. Like, is it yeah. just bread or is there something else? Right. To be able to just really have 100% on yeah. lockdown I'm not gonna pass out and yeah. well not yeah because my concern is more of like what happens if she's missing out on foods that she doesn't need to miss out on right she's like oh I think it's bread but it's actually like the butter she was putting on the bread or oh, right something or like that the yeah. type of bread something that was inside that type of bread yeah I think that for me and this is just the pessimist in me but <clears throat> you also run the risk of them saying well also you have to cut these things out Oh, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, everything you already cut out, plus this additional shit. I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. You Um, made a good dent, but there's some more. (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, So just for our listeners, I just want to let everybody know 
what the um, vagus nerve is, where it's at in the body, um, yeah. just so you can understand that. Um, this was really interesting for me to learn about uh, because I think I might have some talking points with my doctor based off of the information that I've uh, researched. So um, just so everybody knows, we'll do a little uh, language lesson. The word vagus means wandering in Latin. And they named it that, uh, the vagus nerve that, because it's the longest cranial nerve. It runs all the way from your brainstem to uh, your colon. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. And then there are like two components of how the vagus nerve functions. One is somatic components. So that's like things that we can feel on our skin or in our muscles. So if you think about like, um, well, like D&D, that's perfect. Somatic. You're mm -hmm. like doing something with your hands, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you what? have your verbal, you have your somatic, and then you have your material. Yeah. Awesome. And then visceral components are sensations that you feel inside your body, like in the organs of your body. Um, and so some of the sensory functions um, that the vagus nerve are responsible for is um, the sensations that we feel on the skin behind our ear. Mm -hmm. uh, the external part of our ear, ear canal and then parts of our throat. Um, it provides information to our larynx. So within our throat, our esophagus. So swallowing our lungs, our trachea, our heart, and most of our digestive tract. So that's where I found this the most interesting was that this nerve stimulates our entire involuntary contractions in our digestive tract system. So our throat, our esophagus, the stomach, the intestine, it's, it's that nerve is responsible for moving the everything. all of the food through our body. Right. It's, that's part of the whole process. Yeah. So it's really interesting to me, people that have IBS, and we're going to talk about that later in this episode, do they potentially have a vagus nerve issue? Because those contractions are involuntary. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's contracting a lot, right? Like everything's just flying through. For some people that have constipation, it's like completely not contract. It's just slowing down. So I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. We'll have to keep that in mind. Yeah. So that is what I've learned about vagal vasovagal syncope in regards to poop. Um, but it can happen in a lot of different ways. And Sarah and I have now informed you on shit dildoing. Uh, anal sex and pooforia. You are welcome. There you go. <laughs> welcome to 2021. Oh, man. Uh, anyway. <laughs> well, talking about uh, our poop and digestive system, we yeah. also asked, what is poop? Right. And isn't it funny? Like, you would think when we started a podcast talking about poop, that maybe that would be the first place that we start, but we didn't. I don't know. It's also, it's understandable. I mean, coming right out the gate, being like, feces is made out of blah, 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 yeah. <laughs> might have deterred Welcome some to listeners. our podcast. Let me read you the definition of feces. <laughs> right. Yeah. But um, it's important to know, and not everybody actually knows what it is. Exactly. So um, what did you learn about poop? So I actually was slightly surprised. I, with my prior knowledge, I understood that poop was 
leftovers that our body deemed unworthy, essentially. Mm -hmm. So it was like, (laughs) did you have a, um, I'm sorry, did you have, Mm. oh my God. Wayne's World, just pop into your head. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> That's all I could see. It's like the. You know, yeah. I don't actually hear um, Wayne's World when I hear that. I hear Hercules and oh. the two little minion guys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're stoned. Yeah, anyway. That's what oh. I hear. That's hilarious. Yes, I hear Wayne's oh. World. Wayne and Garth. We're not worthy. They're bowing <laughs> down to. Uh, Alice Cooper from Alice yeah, and Jane. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I digress. Okay. So yes, we don't want it. It's yeah, not so worthy. Our body is like we pulled enough nutrition out of what you've provided. This is what's left over and get rid of it. Yeah. Hopefully. But uh, right. <laughs> we're trying to get rid of it. <laughs> Try to get rid of it. Hopefully. Okay. <laughs> but I was actually uh surprised that it's not just food that is going through our feces there's also water Mm -hmm. um and then there is also um just other stuff that your body produces like your digestive tract doesn't just stop it doesn't just like contract and move no it produces yeah it's not just a hose right it's not just a hose it's making stuff yeah, I was surprised by that. Uh, for some reason, I did not think that it was normal for your intestines to produce anything. Yeah, so um, when I was researching it, I was surprised to find out how much of it was water, which it makes sense because, you know, we're water. But I guess about 75% of our poop is made up of water. The rest is all this dead bacteria that helped us to digest our food. Which makes sense. But then there's actually living bacteria that you're shitting out. Mm-hmm. Which also makes sense if you think about it for, like, why you're not, like, why it's dirty, um, not sanitary. Yeah, because exactly. urine is sterile. Like, mm-hmm. which is really weird. But Within the first, like, few seconds or something, if I remember correctly. Yeah, if it sits out, then obviously there's, like, it's a moist environment. There's bacteria in yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But shit is not sterile obviously. And so there's a lot of bacteria in there, but I was surprised. Okay. Now this might be so stupid and I can't believe I'm about to say this out loud. I didn't know that fiber was stuff you couldn't digest. It put like, so it's made to push stuff out. Like, so when you eat it, it's not supposed to digest because it's roughage it's like scraping out your insides now yes i knew that i knew fiber helped clean your bowels by scraping the inside because inside your bowels you have i like to call them little tentacles they're not tentacles they're but the villi or whatever they're called yes yeah Yeah, they're like hair like fibers yeah Mm -hmm. and fiber helps clean those out Mm -hmm. i knew that but for some reason i still thought we either held on to some fiber or soaked it up or something. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, I imagine some of it, but no, it's undigested. So like when Mainly, you think about your poop, yeah. like corn husks, like mm-hmm. the corn shells, I think that's one of those fibers we can't digest and that's why they come out. Yeah. Come out like they look, they went in. So, right. Um, but then the interesting thing about 
the waste from our cellular breakdowns. That I thought was weird. And what do you mean by that? So our our bodies go through natural cycles, right, of cells being produced and then they're like mature and some cells die. So like you think about, okay, we were just sick. We just had COVID, right? Mm-hmm. So our body is attacking the virus cells. Those mm-hmm. cells are in there. Yeah. When they die, they go somewhere and that's waste. That's part of what you poop out hmm. is. Yeah. I, I didn't think about that I because I, when I think about sicknesses and everything, for whatever reason, I just assume they are made, they're created, and then they disappear. They just, like... Yeah. They it, What is it called? They, um... Oh, my gosh. Not absorb. They, um... Evaporate? Yes. They evaporate inside of our bodies. Right. But if you think about it, where does that go? Like evaporation is gas, like a a noxious, like not a noxious state, a gaseous state. Right. So Mm -hmm. it has to go somewhere. Um, So I was reading about that. And obviously, okay, again, as we say at the beginning of our podcast, we are not scientists, people. We are doing our research on our own. Um, But it was really interesting to me to to think about that. I'm like, oh, that makes total sense. Like, this is one of our waste mechanisms. Another one that we have is, like, sweat. But it doesn't get as much out there. And then, of course, exhaling, you know, like Mm -hmm. those gases. And so if you really think about how our bodies work – your cell stuff starts to die in us. It has to be processed in some way and released. I don't know. So, um, but that there's like a lot of salt and stuff like that too. Fat, um, that gets broken down, um, like in your liver and everything like that. And mm-hmm. that's why your can look different. Yeah. Fat is something, uh, is another thing where I considered it because it's part of like what I'm eating a lot of the time, but it's not something that I would have specifically pointed out in regards to it being in our poop. Mm. Like something important to note. Yeah. And I would say um, the color of your poop. So it's interesting because when I started the the last two things about poop and then we'll stop about, you know, the shape mm-hmm. and the color and all that but the color and the shape are really important mm-hmm. and I found um <clears throat> information online and we'll talk about color first because I, I want to talk about the fatty stuff um but the shape and consistency there's actually something called a Bristol stool scale and there was a 2000 person study done about their poop and they categorized um the shape and consistency into I think seven different areas and they're super funny i'll put the infographic on our blog um because of how cute it is um and i'll actually even share my screen with you sarah oh nice um but so we'll come back to the shape but we'll talk about the color for now um there you go can you see that oh my gosh that is so funny this one's my favorite jackson pollock Yes. Um, Anyway, so we'll talk about that. But so poop color, 
fat is crazy because I have seen this come out in my poop before. Not on a regular basis because uh, I don't, I guess I don't eat a lot of super, super fatty foods anymore, but I did. There was a time when I was eating like a lot of fast food and stuff like that and more cheese than I eat now, which is still a lot because I love cheese. But too much fat can actually turn your stool yellow and like oily and globular looking and like all of that. And it can also indicate malabsorption that you're not absorbing your food. Um, and so it's really interesting because the color of your poop can indicate what you're eating as either good or bad, if that makes sense. It's sure. a really good, like quick color indicator of, Oh, my poop is on point. So. Right. Or, and it makes you think too, like, um, so like you have green pulled up, so yeah. it says a little bit of green is totally fine. That's normal. Um, but if you have like your poop is really green, then you either ate like really green foods or, um, your stool is going through your intestines too quickly. So mm-hmm. it, it could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing. And I think back to when I have, I think it's spinach. Mm-hmm. If I have a lot of like salad or just spinach in general, that's when I start to see, notice changes in the color of my stool. But it makes you like think, okay, is this a how's it's like a mini health check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you look at your poop, you look at the color, you look at the shape, and then you're like, oh, good to go. I had mm-hmm. a salad earlier and it is now showing. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then that, and then realizing, oh, but that's okay. That makes sense. Right. Versus what the fuck did I eat to make my poop red? Right. Exactly. Or am I bleeding internally and then dying, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, yeah. So I think, and people that don't look at your, don't look at their poop, you should, you should, it can tell you things. It can be an indicator that you need to go see a doctor. Yeah. Um, it can be an indicator of, diabetes, golf, so like a lot of different things that are coming up where if you went and saw a doctor right then, maybe you could save yourself, you know, some pain and hospital visits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so like one of the things is uh, clay colored poop. Now I have had this happen um, to me before. And this one is, I've always struggled, struggled with because it could be brownish but really pale, right? And then it's like, well, so does that mean, is that clay? Does that what what clay looks like? You know, is it red clay? What kind of clay are we talking about? What part of of America are we in? Um, But that can indicate that your liver or your gallbladder um, is blocked. Like, because you have to produce bile and that bile is part of what colors your poop brown because it's a digestive enzyme, I believe. So... I know it's a fluid. It comes, it helps with digestion from your uh, liver and your gallbladder. So um, anyway, so it's just really interesting. Make sure you pay attention to the colors of your poop. So let's read off. So what are all of the colors that this one's showing? Um, awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have uh, a little bit of green, uh, any shade of brown. Those are all good. Uh, mm-hmm. And then if you start going into yellow, as you're saying, it's that's a, a sign that too much fat or that you're um, 
You're not absorbing your nutrition. Yes, you're yeah. not absorbing. Uh, red is uh, always concerning. However, it doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, again, that's food related or something like uh, like hemorrhoids. I unfortunately had some after James. That was mm-hmm. not fun. No, I have an internal hemorrhoid. It never goes away. So every Ugh. once in a while, I'll just it'll be flared up, and so right, gets I'll activated. have blood. But you can obviously tell fresh blood versus red stool. Right. Exactly. And in the United States. Um, there's a lot of red dyes that are allowed that have been banned in other countries. And so when we're eating things shitty because we're Americans, like, oh, I'm going to eat red and pink Starbursts pack. Well, you're probably going to shit red. They're the best. But you're probably going to have some funny colored poop because of the dyes that you're putting into your body. And then uh, you were just talking about the pale white clay colored. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's black, which I, for me, whenever I hear about black stool, it freaks me out because that's like a sign of like cancer if mm. you have black stool. But this says that there's other reasons that you can have black yeah. stool. So it's not always a bad thing. Uh, and then you have the, your super green. So, and then it just goes around in circle, goes back to brown. Yeah. So super green, it's like you you ate salad or you have an absorption problem. And mm-hmm. like, that's usually that's what mine is, is it's either a brick red clay color and diarrhea or really super green and diarrhea. Cause it's just flying through my body. And it's like, nothing's getting absorbed. Yeah. My stools range between super green to the yellow. It mm-hmm. stays within that spectrum of color. Yeah, it never goes the red to the black side. It's always on that one side. Yeah. All right, exactly. That makes sense. The yellow concerns me about you because that could definitely be that malabsorption. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what about shape? What did you learn about shape of poop? So in my mind, I always thought poop came in maybe like three or four. Mm-hmm. And that was you had your deer poop where it, signs of constipation I knew and then you had just a log Mm -hmm. which to me was normal what you're supposed to have and then the last one is just um liquid diarrhea Mm -hmm. those were the only three I thought interesting yeah so apparently there's seven uh, according to one study that was done but they did Mm -hmm. study 2,000 people and like I said the infographic is super super cute um but it ranges from marbles which to me deer poop rabbit poop that's exactly right it's little teeny tiny pellets yeah right and so that makes sense marbles um but then they have like all the marbles to Jackson Pollock which I the Jackson Pollock just Takes it over the top for me because it's such a great description. But caterpillar, I didn't even think about that. Hot dogs, I guess, are apparently supposed to be normal. And to me, that seems weird because when I think of hot dogs, I think of smooth cylinders. And I always thought of the healthy poop more of that caterpillar. Same. Same here. I thought when you had a smooth too smooth of a poop that that meant that you were borderline diarrhea 
or too much fat in your diet. That's what mm-hmm. I always thought. I was like, oh, it was just sliding right out because I had that fried, you know, onions <laughs> at whatever. Um, and then the snakes are also considered normal. Yeah. So hot dogs and snakes. And it's funny because Paul <laughs> always describes his poop sometimes as like, oh, got to go drop off some hot snakes. And I was always like, what does that even mean? Now I know what he means. Apparently his poop actually is legit like snakes. Um, poop is normal. That's I know that man. About. Well, and that's why when he goes like a day or two without, he gets crabby. Yeah. Because he's like, I just need to take a nice dump. Yeah. <laughs> oh he needs the poop for you. That's what needs to happen. Um, and then it talks about amoebas. So I had a hard time with the amoebas. Um because amoebas are uh, little cells, right? Single cell organisms. Um, and so, I don't know. They're supposed to be small, like the rabbit pellets, but they're soft and easy to pass. So, like, blobs? Yeah, but, see, this is what I'm confused about. Because, to me, that that's super similar to your the next one the soft serve yeah so it seems like there's still some kind of structure to to the poop that's not just all one big continuous soft serve stream because when i think of soft serve it's like it's never ending right right on the valve and it's just like i've opened my asshole and now i'm feeling the toilet (laughs) with soft serve ice cream (laughs) chocolate flavored or strawberry if it's a red day (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, So, and I think it's because I really haven't experienced a lot of these types of poop. Right. Yeah, the amoeba one, I don't know if I've experienced that one. Not enough for me to remember. Mm Mm-hmm. I experienced Jackson Pollock on the regular. Yeah. On the regular. Mm -hmm. That one's super diarrhea. (laughs) (laughs) Completely watery. No solid pieces. In other words, you got the runs. (laughs) (laughs) oh not good yeah your stools moved through your bowels very quickly and didn't form into a healthy poop because they do have to stay in there and to your point earlier absorb the different things that are being produced by the intestines in order to make a turd to make a hot dog or a snake so interesting all right well we've learned what's in poop what it should look like or what it can look like both texture or color and shape and texture Mm -hmm. um we've talked about vasovagal syncope when it comes to poop which was really scary um and then i thought we could just really define our diagnoses um both of us have been in diagnosed with small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO uh and i've been diagnosed with ibsd um so irritable bowel syndrome diarrhea um and I've been doing more and more research on both of those things. And I know you've done some research as well. And it's just really interesting because one impacts the small intestine and one impacts the large intestine. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, especially like when we were having the conversation uh, within the first couple of episodes, like, Talking about how we were finally diagnosed with mm-hmm. SIBO and everything, and then how you were diagnosed with the IBSD, I did not realize that there were different types of IBS. 
Mm-hmm. I thought for sure that there's only one type of IBS. That's why, like, you hear a lot of people, they don't define which IBS they have. They just say, I have IBS. Well, um, and I think a lot of people self-diagnose and just yes. say, oh, I have IBS. Well, you don't have IBS if you haven't seen a doctor and, like, you have gut issues. Let's just define, you know, you have some gut issues maybe, but until you've seen a doctor that can really diagnose IBS, I think that that's the pro- part of the problem, right? If people are saying, oh, I have IBS. It's like, well, no, you don't. Right. No, well, you don't know for sure. You right? don't know for sure. And it's not something like you should assume either, because mm-hmm. from what I found, like, I thought I had an extreme case of IBS going into uh, you know, last year and going into the doctors and everything, but that's not the case. They mm-hmm. found that I had SIBO and it, the way that you treat IBS versus SIBO is different. Yeah. And the way that you need to maintain yourself if you have a high chance of recurring SIBO versus having IBS is different. So it's good to recognize that you have gut issues, but it's even better if you can actually get them defined and actually get it diagnosed. Exactly. You could be doing stuff that isn't beneficial or is even detrimental because you right. haven't been diagnosed appropriately. So we definitely, throughout this journey, you know, the reason why we're sharing so much and explaining where we're going is so that hopefully you can streamline, you know, your journeys to get answers. Um, so a little bit of info about IBS then. Let's start there. Because you thought that you had it. <clears throat> I am still convinced that you do. Um, but maybe that the SIBO was just overpowering, you know, the the issues. Yes. Um, yeah. So just in terms of like how common IBS is. Um, it's about 10 to 15 percent of the po- the worldwide population have some kind of functional GI disorder, gastrointestinal disorder. So it's like um, you can still. What am I trying to say? You can still live. Your body's not breaking down. Does that make right. sense? Like. It's- Something is manageable and it's not. Um, you can't go called? into a hospital and get a test and then they take your blood and be like, oh, my God, you have IBS. Like, no, you're usually functional. You're fine. You're walking around. You're doing your thing. But you have, you know, pain or you have when you have to poop or you have to poop more frequently or you're constipated or yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So, and 60 to 65% of the people that have di- IBS are women. So, it is a very heavy women's issue. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, what I didn't know before, like I mentioned, I thought there was only one type of IBS. I thought irritable bowel syndrome, that's just what it was. Like, and in my mind, and I blame our media you know Mm -hmm. or hollywood what have you but when i thought of ibs 
I thought it was automatically that person's going to have diarrhea. Like, Mm -hmm. they can't help what happens when they eat certain foods. And I thought it was food specific as well. Like, Mm -hmm. you have to, if you, you don't have to, if you eat like spicy Mm -hmm. foods or hot foods or anything like that, and if you have IBS, then you're just going to get diarrhea. That's what Mm -hmm. all I thought it was. Mm. But it looks like there's actually three types of irritable bowel syndrome. There's, like you said, D for diarrhea, C for constipation, and then you can actually have ICM for Mm -hmm. mixed. Yeah, it's M or A. So mixed or alternating, Mm -hmm. which the alternating is what gets me about your specific issues. Um, And it's so funny that you say, like, I immediately think diarrhea because that's not even the most common form of IBS. The most common form is constipation. And so, so, and that's so strange because then mm -hmm. I wonder if I just have diarrhea in my mind, like I said, because of like seeing it in movies or TV shows Mm -hmm. that for probably the laugh factor or the shock factor, like diarrhea is usually more embarrassing or laughable than constipation. Yeah. Right. Because there's that urgency that right. like instant, like I'm going to shit my pants. If right. this doesn't happen right now versus constipation is like, well, how do you show that? Oh, I've been not shitting for three days. <laughs> right. I'm just bending over <laughs> right, having cramps pain. and in pain. <laughs> right. Um, but that is one of those common things that hit both is the gas, the cramps and the pain. Um, and then, or all three, I should say, all three types. But there's actually even more because there can be situational IBS, kind of mm. like what you were saying. So if you had an infection yeah. and you had to take a lot of antibiotics and like your gut flora was wiped out and you're rebuilding that, you could have IBS for like a period of time. It's not chronic. It's just during this time because of the situation. Mm-hmm. And usually those are after you've had an infection Um, or after you've had diverticulitis, which is an infection of your intestine, which I've had. So it's really crazy because if you've had it, there is also a higher likelihood that you're going to develop IBS. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and IBS impacts your, uh, large intestine, not your small intestine. Correct. Yeah. And that was, and that's another reason why people should go out and get diagnosed because mm-hmm. yes IBS is in a different area of your body than like the SIBO which since we had in the way that we went about it so using you for example I because I have not been diagnosed with IBS uh, at this time uh, only SIBO they for in order to cure SIBO or to have it go away for a certain period of time they put you on antibiotics and they just they just choose to kill off all the bacteria that's in that part of your body but what about your ibs so obviously if you take antibiotics Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it can irritate it right so you were diagnosed with both Mm -hmm. and they put you on antibiotics for the Mm -hmm. SIBO Mm-hmm. knowing that you had IBS, correct? Yes. So here's the thing is they have to weigh it with my situation. It was weighing the fact that the SIBO the, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into SIBO next, but the SIBO 
was basically life threatening at that point to me. It was eating everything I was eating. Like I was just losing weight, not absorbing any nutrition, fatigued all the time, like all of this stuff. And so they're like, we need to treat that because that's more severe and more immediate versus like you have some diarrhea for a while. You know, mm-hmm. like you're in pain and you have diarrhea versus you're not absorbing anything and you're losing weight and getting dangerously, you know, like brain fog. And because I don't I wasn't absorbing any nutrition. Well, and I can imagine them working together, CBO and SIBO and IBS. Like mm-hmm. it's a for sure you're not getting any nutrients. Right. Like so now my small intestine is eating everything. So I'm not even absorbing anything in there. And then by the time it gets to my large intestine, they're like, move it out. Wham! And it just flies right out my body. I'm like, okay, cool. So I didn't even get that. But yeah, so some things about IBS that I just want to touch on and highlight, because then I think it'll be a good transition to talk about SIBO, um, is a couple of things. A lot, most IBS can be managed with diet and lifestyle changes. Mm Mm-hmm. Only a small number of people have IBS symptoms that are super severe, um, like mine, unfortunately, um, or not IBS, mine or SIBO, so that they can have them that are super severe. So a couple of things is um, the signs and symptoms of the like the IBS stuff, they're usually around a long time. So they're not like, oh, three months ago, this one time I had some abdominal cramping. No, we're talking like, Every time you're pooping or, you know, once a week, it's some kind of chronic um, happening. Um, But you want to make sure you see a doctor, kind of like Sarah and I did. When you start to see a lot of weight loss, you're having diarrhea at night, you are vomiting unexplained. That's what was happening to me, the biggest part of why I went. Um, You have problems swallowing. That was happening to me, too. And it had to do with, like, acid reflux which Mm -hmm. didn't feel like acid reflux. It was just like, oh, that's weird. I can't swallow. Um, And then persistent pain, like in your bowels. Um, What's interesting is they don't know why IBS happens. (laughs) So that's the biggest thing that bothers me is they don't know why. They have some ideas. They're like, well, you know, obviously it could be the, 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 vagus nerve like we were talking about there could be some issues there something with your nervous system maybe you had a bad infection maybe you had a lot of stress when you were young maybe you have gut microbe issues you know and it's like maybe 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 there's no way for them to know for sure so it's kind of a guessing game and a lot of what they tell you to do are lifestyle changes um yeah but and then people Make sure you listen to Pursuing Your Patronus because risk factors for people that have IBS, you are more likely to have IBS if you are anxious, depressed, or have any other mental health issues, including a history of sexual, physical, or emotional abuse. So. It just, that is one thing that is crazy is how something not only like physical physical I understand if something physical physically traumatic happens then your body responds and that could look like different things that Mm -hmm. makes sense but 
a mental aspect just because somebody is mentally struggling it affects your whole body or has the chance yeah. to affect your whole body mm-hmm. including your guts it's insane like our bodies are pretty amazing and um like i've always been fascinated with dermatology because your skin will a lot of times show you what's happening inside your body mm-hmm. different reactions and stuff that you're having occur are because something else is going on in your body it's usually not just like oh i must have you know not drank enough water yesterday and now i have this weird rash no most likely there's something else going on (laughs) and you have a weird rash because something inside you is happening um and so we're all interconnected and i think it's been as a non-doctor but very detrimental that we have separated our medical like our mental health from our physical health yeah because they're so entwined yeah we're not putting enough importance (laughs) on the mental aspect it's very much like you you have all like these huge hospitals that you go to for all your physical mm -hmm. needs and then you have all these specialists for those physical needs But then when it comes to mental, I feel like it's down to psychologists, psychiatrists, and therapy. And yes, they definitely have, like, specialists. But knowing those specialists is not as common. Or finding them, I feel feel like they are not as common. It's Um, not. We actually have a huge mental health crisis in the United States. Um, People can't get mental health. um, uh, Like assistance. They can't find mental health doctors. Or they can. And they're like, I'm having a crisis. And they're like, we can't see you for 90 days. Because Mm -hmm. we're so overwhelmed with the number of people that we need to see. And then because we don't have socialized medicine in the United States... Um, I, I live in Washington. So this is one of those great things that Sarah and I get to talk about now. Cause she used to live in Washington and now she lives in Idaho mm-hmm. and in Washington, as she knows, and I know amazing social health care programs, amazing mm-hmm. Idaho, not so much. Right. Yeah. I, I have not been in a situation where I have needed serious mm-hmm. help. Like in Washington, I gave birth. And mm-hmm. so that's like a major event in Idaho. I have not had a major event take place, but my experience as a customer, mm-hmm. I guess you could say was not as satisfying as Washington side. Yeah. Yeah. So my understanding is that Idaho does not have, um, does not have, a pro a lot of social programs like Washington does right um they're just not set up that way it makes sense Washington's more democratic blue state Idaho's red you know yada yada so um in Washington we actually have these really great like healthcare programs but then if you have private insurance you don't qualify for them And so then there's this huge mental health crisis. And so you just can't get the assistance that you need timely. And people end up just, you know, taking self-medicating or taking their own lives or whatever the case may be because they can't get mental health help. Um, 
And unfortunately, we experienced this in great detail with our son. So, but yes, it's definitely interesting how we separate these things when when the doctors even know they're connected. Like, it fucking says they're connected, and yet we're not gonna... Right, like, I, as you've been speaking, I've been uh, diving even deeper into mm-hmm. this and whatnot, and yeah, the... I found here it says the brain communicates with the gut through the mm-hmm. ANS and the I'm going to butcher this hypo hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis the HPA that makes up the brain gut axis. So doctors know that there is like a direct link like they mm-hmm. have found that the brain and gut which like you're saying makes sense as humans we're all connected like our body's all connected within itself but there is like a direct link mm-hmm. yeah there is a direct link and the um ans just for anybody that was listening it's the um autonomic nervous system so it's part of the nervous nervous system that controls all of our internal organs um and then what was the other word that you said? I'm sorry. Yeah, HPA. Uh, hypothal- hypothalamic pituitary oh, uh-huh. adrenal. Oh, okay. Um, yes. Yeah. So so meaning it comes from the hypothalamus, which is part of your brain. Um, so hypothalamic pituitary adrenal. Damn, Sarah, nice job. Right? High five. High five virtual because, you know, <laughs> COVID. Um, no, but that, that yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Because that's also what controls stress. Yes. And that's huh. why I I think I found it because we were talking about how mental uh, occurrences with for each person can affect your guts and everything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I'm interested in, uh, I became interested in like, how does that happen? Or why does that happen? How is that even possible? Like when something mental can affect you physically and Wow. There we go. That's crazy. Um, Just to highlight the mental health crisis, too, in the United States, so that people can go talk to their uh, lawmakers and all that jazz if they want to. But the the percentage of adults with mental illness that are uninsured um, in the United States, it's about 10.8% of the people that have mental health issues do not have insurance which is 5.1 million people that's insane Uh, yeah and so obviously it differs state to state because of different state like criteria but the people that are seeking help for anxiety and depression are it's like nine it was like a huge increase over 2019 because of 2020 oh sure and so Now we have more people that need mental health providers and less access to mental health providers because of COVID and all this stuff. So it's just really, it's really sad, um, especially as we have interviewed so many people now about mental health on our Pursuing Your Patronus podcast that that it's hard to get help. Um, yeah. Even talking to, go back and listen to the first episode, guys, but talking to somebody that had to make the choice to not take her meds so that she could get her children's medication filled. So, 
yeah, craziness. Um, so let's talk about SIBO. Because that definitely is impacted by stress. <laughs> right? So SIBO is something that both of us were diagnosed with. Mm-hmm. And I talked about it a little bit before, but it was something where I thought it was too good to be true, where that was the answer to all of my problems, my life mm-hmm. problems. And after receiving the antibiotic, I definitely felt better, a, I would say, like, maybe, like, a week, week and a half. Mm-hmm. It felt pretty good, and then it started going back to normal. And then the holidays hit, and I just ate whatever the frick I wanted, so... Yep. That probably didn't help matters either. And I was also extremely stressed due to the holidays as well. Mm. So I don't know if my SIBO is recurring, but you do. Oh, yeah. That yours is. Oh, it's, I'm pretty sure it never went away. Yeah. So um, there are different types of SIBO. They don't know a lot about SIBO I you know that's the biggest thing that I my research and I've researched it a lot in the past too especially right after I was diagnosed like what can I do I became kind of like when I was like obsessed with Mm -hmm. how do I cure myself Mm -hmm. you can't um it it goes into remission (laughs) short answer (laughs) right you can't cure it it goes into remission Um, but it's really interesting because there's actually different types of SIBO and I didn't know that there are different gases that your body can produce, um, based upon the bacteria that are in your small intestine. So maybe we should start with just defining SIBO. Yeah. So small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, uh, is what it stands for. And It is essentially bacteria in your small intestine that is overpopulating and is causing, uh, like Amanda mentioned before, nutrients and whatnot is not being absorbed. And it starts, uh, your small intestine stops moving or it slows down the whole Mm -hmm. process, which is a bad thing. We don't want that to happen. Right. And so, um, yeah, it slows everything down. And this bacteria is essentially eating all of your food (laughs) and it's making you really gash gassy. Um, it makes me gassy anyway, because it, that's what it's creating. So when you get your Mm -hmm. test, you're breathing into these tubes and it's measuring the increase of certain gases Mm -hmm. in your breath. And mine was hydrogen predominant. Um, so they gave me, um, an antibiotic called rifaximin and that seemed to work and then it came back. And so it, you're also supposed to go on a SIBO diet, um, when you go on the medication. So that way you're not counteracting the medicine by feeding the bacteria. And the diet is a low FODMAP diet, um, which talks about like fermentability of certain foods. So when you think about wheat is a great example, right? Gluten, bread, whatever. Wheat Mm -hmm. is made or wheat is used to make a lot of different alcohol, grain alcohols, which is a fermenting process, which is what it's doing in your guts. 
if you're having SIBO. So now my thing about SIBO and um, that when we were talking about the results uh, in the earlier episodes and whatnot podcasts, mm-hmm. I was concerned about how the doctors read the results. Like, because they they can't tell you how significant the SIBO is appearing in your guts. They can't see necessarily, like, the levels. They, or at least if they do see it, they don't talk about it with you. They don't find that that's necessarily important need-to-know information. They're just like, yes, it's there. Here's your antibiotics. It should be gone. We're done. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I, I, I did a, a little bit of research on this, trying to figure this out. And I find that they're still working on it. Like, they got to the point where they can confirm SIBO and whatnot. But the levels of those gases that you're talking about, they have an idea of where they what range they should be within for a typical mm-hmm. person, but they still they're still testing like themselves. They're still doing their own research on it. And here's the definition for how the analysis for the doctors actually works. So uh, they check the breath samples that were provided for the appropriate amount of carbon dioxide as well as the hydrogen and methane present. And so if the sample doesn't have enough, um, it will consider it invalid and stop the test, essentially, or stop the analysis. Um, But if uh, there's a invalid sample, but is showing as like positive for SIBO, then they still send out the the results. Mm -hmm. So even if there's an invalid one, they still proceed forward. Okay, so I was able, because of my chart, which I did research on my chart, and my chart is available through John Hopkins, like all of these amazing hospitals. So if your hospital is not on it, tell talk to them about it, because they really should be. Um, so I was able to get a copy of my SIBO testing. Now, there are only specific labs in the area in the United States that do SIBO testing. Mm-hmm. So my doctor had to send it out. They didn't even do it at their facility. They had to have another facility do it. And so it was really interesting. But I'm looking at the results and I'm sharing them um, with Sarah now. And I don't know if you can see this really well, Sarah, but it actually gives me a chart. And it shows me what my results were, what the expected results were, um, what the ratio between hydrogen and methane was, what the combo was, and a chart that shows over time how much it increased. Does it show? Okay, so I'm looking at your chart because I did not receive this paperwork. However, did you automatically receive this or did you have to go out and get it yourself? No, I got it through my chart. I got as soon as my doctor got this because everything's electronic uploaded into their system i also got notified so i looked at it before my doctor even had a chance okay see and uh, for me it's not the same experience yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but okay okay so what we're looking at is there are 
tables. And I'll put this and- on the blog. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I will put this on the blog. I don't think there's any of my private information on this page. I'll make sure that there's not, but I don't mind sharing it. I think it will help people. And honestly, I, I'm trying to pull my own medical records. Uh, we're going to be doing an episode on that and during the, like the whole process. So if I end up finding my results like this, where it has tables and charts and everything, I will post that as well. And then we can compare. Mm-hmm. That would be awesome. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what are we seeing? We are seeing um, your actual results versus mm-hmm. what is supposed to be expected. Yes. So there's, like you said, there's a lot of charts. So the actual versus expected for both the parts per million of the specific gases and a combination of the gases, what's expected, what was found. And then also because you do 10 tubes, Mm -hmm. the expected, this is what baffles me. This is what's crazy. I'll be honest. This is the first time I've actually looked at this in like a lot of depth, but it tells you where the liquid that you're drinking is supposed to be located in your body. Number one, it should be in the small intestine. One through six, I guess it should be in small through intestine. Number seven, you should have a transition. And then eight through 10, everything should be in your large intestine. Isn't that crazy? So then, okay, okay. Where is your number seven? 120 minutes. Oh, it's right at the... I'm looking down here at your... At the big chart? Yeah. And if you see your number seven, the transition is same as the step before. It's as soon as it got hit in the large intestine or where it's supposed to be in the large intestine, Mm -hmm. it jumps. Yeah. And And so that indicates to me that most likely... It's in that, um, isn't that where your colon is? Where your small at intestine, end. at the end of your small intestine? Or your no, 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 your large? colon's at the end of your large intestine. Okay. So whatever, um, let's see, what's between small intestine and large intestine? How do they connect? Okay. I don't know. There must be. I, I, that's it. Yeah, it is really interesting because it definitely has like a huge jump as soon as it. Well, and that's the thing is, was it in my large intestine? That's where it should have been. And that's the expected location. Does that make sense? Correct. So, yes. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, that is really weird. Because that's 140 minutes in, right? So that at that point is two hours and 20 minutes since I started drinking or since I drank the stuff. Because you drink it all, if I remember correctly, and then you breathe into the tubes over the three-hour intervals. And it's, since our listeners can't see it just quite yet, it's a jump in hydrogen. Mm -hmm. So your methane... Is looking fairly stable throughout this testing process. Yep, I actually tested below what. Yeah. So if you look at my results, I was at four parts per million, where the expected is just to be less than twelve. So I was yep. totally fine. I'm not producing methane. I am totally producing hydrogen. 
Right. <laughs> like, massive amounts of hydrogen. Are, I'm surprised oh I'm not God. just, like, exploding. I don't even know. What does hydrogen do? I'm sure it does something. Mixing me with oxygen, I'm just turning into water. There so, you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's kind of crazy. But this chart, um, just because you were talking about, you know, you don't know how you don't know how much bacteria is in there right they're not in your small intestine they can only make guesses based upon these breath results and how the bacteria should be reacting right right and mine is way outside so the expected increase in hydrogen is less than 20 parts per million and mine was 87 parts per million overall a bit different a little bit (laughs) Well, a little slurp. Just a little. So, um, I'm really interested to see yours. Yeah, same. So, I think I'm going to continue, obviously, working on gathering all medical records. But mm-hmm. I will for sure be keeping an eye out specifically for the SIBO result. Mm-hmm. Um, especially since that is something that I was officially diagnosed with. So, no more guessing games or... Oh, right. Exactly. So you actually do, yeah, know that, um, that you have it. So let's talk a little bit about that because I wanted to talk about how the prevalence of SIBO, the, um, not just the symptoms, because I think we've talked enough about the symptoms, but like the, how normal is it to have SIBO? And then also like, what can, why what causes it you know what is making this happen um so there's not a lot of information about SIBO is what I learned um were you able to find prevalence so my understanding is that SIBO is common mm-hmm. um I can see if I can pull up numbers specifically but SIBO is definitely something that is common And it's mainly because it can be caused by a lot of different things. And going back to what we were talking about with IBS, it can be something that's mental or Mm -hmm. it can be a physical reaction to what we're eating. Um, But I it doesn't surprise me (laughs) that I, I was diagnosed with SIBO only because of those reasons so like stress how we're talking about before can be a cause for SIBO and there's been some stressful points in life so Mm -hmm. that's understandable everybody experiences stress at some point and but then dietary it's like high in sugars and I'm Mm -hmm. I have the sweetest of teeth I love candy and sweets and anything that goes with it so that's understandable right there as well um the other one is uh exercise and i know we're going to talk about this separately in another episode but uh your exercise can affect your guts as well and SIBO specifically so i think it's i think that's one reason why it's common is because Mm -hmm. there's there's just very standard reasons as to why it may occur. What I have pulled up right now says there is a strong evidence that exposure to stress is responsible for dysregulation of the brain gut axis leading to different diseases of the gut, including SIBO. Interesting. 
Yeah. And I did. Okay. So thank you for clarifying because I also was reading something else in my research and it's just like, it's, I'll be honest with our listeners. It's overwhelming the amount of information and also the amount of information they're not sure on. And so I'm like, Jesus, we just don't know anything about poop. Um, And so one of the things that I had read about was that, that mind gut connection and how there could be like hormonal imbalances or nerve um, irregularities and how they're communicating. And I'm like, what the hell? So like almost in my mind, almost like there potentially is a mechanism for our body to clear out that bacteria, but my brain doesn't tell my body to do that. Right. It's like, we don't, we're not recognizing that. Right. (laughs) It's like, oh no, they're just having a party, you know? all good we don't want to ruin it (laughs) so um but yeah no that's really interesting because when I was reading I knew a lot of the causes could have been um complications from abdominal surgery which I've had multiple um it is a structural problems within your um intestine like things from the outside getting wrapped around which I that's why I had to have my ovary removed was because my colon literally encased and encapsulated my ovary Mm -hmm. um bodies are fucking weird i don't know why what the fuck it was doing but um and then other medical conditions too that can cause issues because it's slowing down how you're processing your food and it's giving the bacteria a chance um to grow and like take over um so but then it makes sense that because of how stress can impact the movement of your guts and everything that Mm -hmm. makes total sense that's crazy right because SIBO like it's your small intestines are not pushing forward Mm -hmm. and so if stress is causing your guts to freak out and it's going into like shock then yeah it's something that could happen wow yeah um and so some of the complications about having SIBO obviously uh malnutrition and absorption of any type of uh, compound that your body needs, like salts and fats and carbohydrates and all of those things are um, not there, you know, because you're just not being able to digest your food because the bacteria harms the mucus lining of your intestine, resulting in it not being able to break down those different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it talks about um, this I'm on Mayo Clinic is the, a lot of the research that I did in John Hopkins, but it talks about your bacteria then is competing for your food with your body. And then what you're producing, what that bacteria is producing through the breakdown of your food triggers diarrhea. So mm-hmm. it's like a domino effect. It just, yeah. do, 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 do. and then that leads to diarrhea again malnutrition, weight loss, vitamin deficiency, osteoporosis, because <laughs> you're not absorbing anything, and then potentially kidney stones and different things like that can happen. Right. It's just everything's connected. That's going to be the new tagline. Everything's connected. Right. It's all connected with a picture of our intestine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but it makes me concerned for the lack of concern that we get from our doctors. Like reading about this and then knowing your doctor's like, yeah, you know, so, you know, what do you want to do now? Well, not die, not have kidney stones, not, you know, all of these things that could lead. Like, why aren't you guiding me? 
toward what I should be doing. And to your point, like you said earlier, they just don't know. I found an article that say that, so there's a question asked, do you think SIBO is being overdiagnosed or underdiagnosed? And the doctors re- responded with underdiagnosed. Yeah. Well, and it's because people don't talk about their poop or they have so much shame or they don't know. They're like, oh, I have diarrhea. And then um, they're like, well, tell me about your diarrhea. And then they tell them and then they get told that it's not diarrhea like you got told. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and this is interesting. They go on to say that um, most IBS patients are now SIBO-based on recent culture data showing SIBO in 60% of the D-IBS. I mean, that would make sense, right? Because the diarrhea, yeah. And going back to something that you mentioned before, um, but like when you mentioned the abdominal surgeries and everything – Having some physical trauma like that, because that is to your body physical trauma. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, do, while doing research, was brought up as well, is any form of uh, surgery and whatnot like that, it can severely mess up with your guts. Not because they went in there and moved stuff around. It, it's just the pure fact that your body was under intense stress. Yeah, I mean, you're you are being it and surgery in general is very um my guts are talking. I don't know if you can hear that, but no, uh, no. <laughs> are very it's very much how do I want to say in it's very invasive and it's very butcher like. Yeah. You know, and uh, and it's amazing the the leaps and bounds that we've made in terms of like medicine and surgery and everything that we can do but it doesn't take away the fact that it is traumatic and invasive to your point to our bodies right so we're getting better about it and when you say it butcher like we're not meaning that in a like grotesque manner it's just we are literally still cutting people open to complete surgery on them yes exactly um and i like you said i think we are getting better and better like when i had my ovary taken out they did it laparoscopically and so it's like but you're still introducing something foreign into your body there's still air you know different things bacteria even though they try to have sterile environments things are getting in there and breaking the seal (laughs) you're breaking the seal exactly yep and so um ultimately something is going to be impacted. Like how could it not, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, and then plus the medications that they give you after you've had surgery, um, the lack of movement and the hospitalization, you know, like all of those things impact your ability to digest and to, uh, when we really just think about it from a gut perspective. And I think in the next couple of episodes when we go back because like Amanda was saying at the very beginning we go back and we re-listen to our podcast episodes and whatnot and we realize we made a lot of promises and there is a, a lot of research that we 
promised would get done or that we said told ourselves that we wanted mm-hmm. to do. And SIBO is going to continually come up uh, because obviously it's something that we both have been diagnosed with, but it is also something that is extremely common and the whole like practice behind uh, gastroenterology, it's, there's a lot that goes into it. So in future podcasts, I know that I personally plan on talking about the medical industry itself and mm-hmm. narrowing it down from high up, like a uh, high overview going to the very specific uh, gastro doctors and whatnot. And from the little research I've already done, it is interesting. Um, and it definitely tells a lot about the state that we're in. <clears throat> yeah. When it comes no, to sorry, the I was coughing. You're I was fine. trying to not cough. And I was like, <clears throat> <clears throat> um, no, it really does. And specifically in our country, like yes. I would love to do additional research on like, what does IBS look like in the UK where they have socialized healthcare? Yeah. And it's like, oh, all of our guts are so happy over here because we can get it treated um, without worrying about a financial impact. I don't know. But uh, I would love that. I think that's a great idea. Um, We're also going to try and get uh, specialized doctors on here for interviews, Um, talking to a SIBO doctor, talking to a doctor that specializes in IBS, Um, because there are even within gastrointestinal specialty there's even more specializations you know so like you think about neurologists and stuff like that that focus on alzheimer's that's all they do um i would love to talk to a doctor that's like i have dedicated my life to SIBO right i've dedicated my life to ibs um because you know it's those things that would be the most impactful to the greatest amount of people in the world Mm -hmm. so yeah exciting stuff so if you guys have questions um about today's episode about SIBO IBS um what your poop is made of um vasovagal syncope when it comes to poop make sure to reach out to us um through social media or send us an email at dm at natonelife.com um or leave a comment on our podcast here and we will make sure to work that in there yeah and uh we are going to be getting our blog fully up and running and getting it all uh caught up to our podcast so where this is important because our blog goes into even more detail than what we do here in the podcast because we try to keep these conversations short for our listeners (laughs) because we can go all day on these things and it gets a little (laughs) mundane yeah it does you guys only heard an hour of this conversation but uh it's straight up two hours so yeah that we've been talking this morning um but we thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you next week yeah speak to you soon thank you adventurers for joining us today we hope this helped you find tips and tricks to loot the booty Find us on natonelife.com and check us out on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to follow us more on our day-to-day. May your poop be regular and bubbles minimal. Stay, Stay sassy, sassy and gassy. gassy. Till next, next time. time. Nice. <laughs> Take the pill and use the glove until you have.
of love, a nap one life, a nap one life. You work all day and make no pay, and debt is mounting every day. A nap one life, a nap one life. When the world seems to be slowly crushing your dreams, anxiety, depression, doubt. This nap one life is shitty.